Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first ever The GNT Show, the first ever episode on the brand new West Coast Press Podcast Network. Today we have a great show for you. Today we have my good friend from high school, Connor McIntosh, coming on to the show. We're going to talk about the finals. We're going to talk about, we're going to do a little draft. We're going to talk about the matchups, what fits well for the Warriors, what doesn't go well for the Warriors, and at the end we're going to do some predictions. It's going to be a fun show today, so make sure you stay tuned as we're going to get started right now. Today's episode of the GMT Show is presented by WestCoastPreps.com. West Coast Preps is your one-stop shop for all high school sports coverage, giving student-athletes the coverage that they deserve. All right, welcome to the GMT Show. Connor McIntosh, my good friend from high school on the good old journalism days when we were in the classroom uh, not doing a whole lot of journalism, just messing around. But Connor, welcome to the show and welcome to the GMT show on the, the first first episode. What's up, man? How, how are you doing? Good. So today, I mean, game one of the finals. What, what more could we ask for is, uh, I mean, you're a semi-warrior fan. You decided to trade, uh, trade teams quite a bit. You're a Rockets fan, I'm pretty sure, for a while. You're an Astros fan as well, I'm pretty sure, for a while. But game one of the finals, Golden State Warriors, Boston Celtics tonight. Let's just run through run through the series real quick and just initial thoughts of before game one. Uh, yeah, it should be good. Uh, I think uh, the two best teams left in the playoffs are, are meeting each other. So, I mean, it's, you know, what more can you ask for? I think for the Warriors, uh, like sixth time they've been here in the last eight years, really, I mean, when they're core has been fully healthy you could say it's been like six straight years in the finals uh boston really weird season uh they were three games under 500 before the uh turn of the calendar and then after the turn of the calendar uh they were 550 games in and uh, i think after that point um they've been the best team in the league record wise uh something flipped within the team they made a couple of trades uh, they started playing really good defense, uh, had the best defense in the league uh, after January 1st. So, uh, yeah, it should be really good. I think um, it's going to be a different type of test for the Warriors. I think, like, Boston style of defense, the, you know, other than Memphis for a little bit, they didn't really play a team that plays defense like them. So it should be a good challenge. And for the Celtics, like, you know, it's the first time a lot of their guys have been in the finals. Um, so, um, you know, We'll see who's ready to handle the handle the big stage. We've seen really good players go to the finals and not necessarily, you know, fully embrace the moment. So it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and so I saw this stat that came up. Um, I believe it was last week where the Celtics are the only team in the Steve Kerr era to have a winning record against the Warriors, and they're nine and seven. Now it's kind of a, a BS stat because. Let's be real. Four of those wins came when the Warriors were just absolutely garbage the last couple of years um, because of injuries and other reasons. So in reality, they're really just five and seven against this sort of Warriors team that actually is, is well played. But they do always present a challenge to this Warriors team, even when they had KD, even when they were on their 73 and nine run. What is it about this team that you see in your eyes that just presents challenges is it the tall wings what, what is it in your eyes uh well i mean their roster is really well built for the modern nba yeah i mean they have two wings who 
have embraced playing defense. Like Jalen Brown's always been a good defender, but I think you, what you've seen this year is that Jason Tatum's taking the challenge of, uh, you know, being a really solid defender, somebody that doesn't, you know, you can't hunt him on switches, stuff like that. And then once you add Marcus Smart into the mix, uh, you know, him being the defensive player of the year, stuff like that. Um, you know, he's, he's not necessarily like a tall point guard. Um, he's just a really like strong, like big point guard. Uh, so he plays like bigger than his size. So you have three guys right there that can all switch matchups and they can defend multiple positions and stuff like that. Really the key is, well, two things um, on their front line is that they reacquired Al Horford, who's always been a really good positional defender. He's not, he's not a guy that like, you know, he's going to lock you up in the post and stuff like that, but he, he's a really good positional defender. He knows where to be. Um, and then the emergence of Robert Williams has been a huge thing for the Celtics because uh, Robert Williams is a guy that um, not necessarily like an offensive threat, but on defense, he plays sort of a roamer or free safety role where um, all these guys try to keep their players in front of them. And Robert Williams is just, just there on the back line trying to like Roman in, in block shots and so he kind of helps everybody if they get beat in their matchup so the health of him is going to be a big concern because he's been in and out of the lineup these playoffs he had meniscus surgery in March so for him you know what kind of Robert Williams are we getting is it the healthy version or is it the limited version that's had to miss games that's going to be a huge key for the Celtics defense so we'll have to find out yeah, I, I'm definitely I'm nervous because this defense that the Celtics have is has almost been historic at times with some of the defense they've been able to play uh, when you compare it to some of the historic great defenses in the NBA history. But there's nothing quite like the Warriors offense and the way it just moves. It's totally different, right? When they went up against Milwaukee, you have to be honest, and you're just trying to create a wall to somehow stop them from getting to the rim and, you know, hope that other guys miss shots. Uh, it's kind of similar with Jimmy Butler. You're just going ISO um, and the same thing with Katie and uh, Kyrie. They're just going ISO ball, just nonstop ISO. And so this sort of defense, they've gone three rounds with a lot of ISO, different sort of offense, but the Warriors offense is just so different. Uh, what, and there's, but there's no one to attack for the Warriors. So that's the one thing, like there's not one bad defender on the court. Even if you go Grant Williams, Derek White, those are two good defenders coming off of the bench as well. So there's no one, hopefully Daniel Tice gets some minutes and they can just attack him in game one. Um, Cause that's probably the, the worst player that gets some rotational minutes for the Celtics right now. But we were talking about this off air. Uh, we we're talking about Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo, how they say the Warriors have gone through no one, but I would disagree. They went through Jokic, they went through Ja, and then they go through Luka. That's three superstars. Obviously, Jaw gets hurt, but they were up to one when he got hurt in that series anyway. So they were still winning in that series. I'm going to counter that point, and I'm going to say that the Celtics have gone through no one. They went through a dysfunctional Brooklyn Nets team that was just awful outside of the two top players in Katie and Kyrie. Then they go and play Milwaukee with no Chris Middleton, and I think if Chris Middleton's in there, it goes to game seven, I think. Chris Middleton is at least making some difference in that series. And then they play a Miami team that no one believed in all year. And then Miami is just completely banged up and Kyle Lowry's playing half the games. He doesn't look like himself. Jimmy Butler has his right knee soreness. So I'm going to counter Bill Simmons and say Boston has played a fairly easy route if you're going to say the Warriors have played no one. 
Yeah, I mean, well, first I'm going to talk about Boston's route. So if you look at all those matchups, really other than one great Kyrie game, like they really haven't faced a team that has like exceptional guard play. If you think about Milwaukee, like Drew Holiday, like, yeah, he gives you some points, but he's more of a defensive player like Wes Matthews, Grayson Allen. They all like weren't very good. Miami, Kyle Lowry was like at best 50%. And then you had Tyler Hero, who was also banged up, and Gabe Vincent, who is like a good player, but like he's not going to give you like 20 points a night. So this is really the first series that Boston's going to face a team that has guards that can consistently score. Um, and when I look at that, I see like, okay, if you, if you think about like what beats the Celtics defense, right? Like if you take a lot of mid-range shots and make mid-range shots, then you can open up the defense a lot. If you notice like the games where Jimmy Butler went crazy or Kevin Durant when he had his like one good game of the se- of the series, like they really attack the mid-range. And when teams don't, if they just settle for threes or try to go inside, you're playing into their hands. So I think the Celtics route wasn't necessarily like super easy, but they haven't really played a team that has consistently good scoring guards yet and then when you when we flip it over to the Warriors yeah round one you can say like yeah you played Jokic and you know nobody I mean I'll give them that like the Nuggets roster other than Jokic is not very good um because he had two injured players but like Memphis's roster like even without Ja like they go like 22 and 4 or whatever that record was without Ja Morant really well-built team um if they can add another piece i think they're going to be like right at the top of the west again next season um so that was like honestly memphis has been the warriors toughest matchup so far in the playoffs like easily um and then with dallas like before the series everybody was talking about you know who's going to guard luca you know is luca because he just absolutely killed the phoenix suns and like yeah like luca still got his points but this notion that he didn't get any help is kind of crazy because you know Jalen Brunson averaged over 20 points a game in the series Spencer Dinwiddie had some good games as well so I don't necessarily think that like the route was easy but what it does do is that it prepares the Warriors pretty well because they faced a really good center like a really fast point guard who presents like a lot of challenges and and good three-point shooters around him and you face a point guard who's basically like a wing player. Like if you look at Luca in his body, like he, he's the size of like a wing player, but he plays point guard. So when they go into this series, I think they've seen every type of good player. And so it helps them prepare better for what's to come, in my opinion. Yeah, going off of that, I'm going to say that they haven't seen a player like Jason Tatum because Jason Tatum is a little different than all three of those players that you mentioned. He's not – Luca is kind of <clears> low – I mean, you can call him a small four, you can call him a guard, whatever you call him. But he's plays slow, methodical, and then just has his little step back three, and then they surround it with a five out and just try and drive and then kick out. But Jason Tatum's a two-way great player, um, you know, top ten player in the league probably right now, you know, creeping his way towards top five um, as he continues to, to bolster his game. And I'm just – there's games that he's had unbelievable games. Uh, what he had 47, 46 against Milwaukee, I think, in game six. But he also leads the the playoffs and turnovers. I believe he has 77 or 83 or something like that in, in all the games that they've played. So the one thing that Gary Payton the second coming back into this series, I think is huge because of on ball pressure. No one on the Celtics team, really other than Marcus Smart, can even really dribble the ball. No one can initiate that offense. 
because they have such a hard time dribbling. You look at Jalen Brown now, the dude takes two dribbles, and if he takes a third one, it's almost going to get stolen or he's just going to lose it. So Gary Payton second, probable for game one, I believe right now, that's expected to play, is going to be a huge lift for the Warriors' defense, and then he can create fast-break opportunities. I think with this team, like you said, mid-range is something that the Warriors have done incredibly. Um, they've been able to score twos. That's how they beat Dallas. You know, they didn't rely on the threes. They went in, they drove inside, got their two points, killed it in the paint. Um, but they've shown the ability. Andrew Wiggins is a great mid-range shooter. So I think the matchup is is going to be a fun one. We'll do predictions in a little bit. But I want to talk about the Warriors. And they've taken a ton of criticism earlier in this year when they decided to take Kaminga, Moody, keep Wiseman, you were on the train of we need a trade Wiseman. How has how has the the two different eras gone for you now that they've gone to one finals? Has your opinion switched on having two different eras and, and not kind of going all in for the last run with the big three? Uh, it hasn't really changed much for me. I think I mean. In spurts, you've seen Moody have, like, a pretty good – he had a pretty good game five against Dallas. Like, he held his own, which is fine. I, I think um, the fact that they're winning right now, I don't think is because of the contribution of all those draft picks. They really haven't played that much. I think, honestly, it's in spite of what has gone on. It just It's more of a testament to, like, how good the older players are rather than, like, oh, this is something that, like, works. I just think that they're – they got like pretty fortunate in the sense that, you know, the core has been still playing up to the standard and the fact that they've gotten a lot from Andrew Wiggins and Kevon Looney, I think that also helps. Um, but I think the biggest thing and the reason why this like roster sort of works is because Jordan Poole went from a guy where he was almost unplayable in his first year and a half in the league to now, you know, basically started half the season and he could probably start on you know 20 teams in the league maybe so like him being that guy where he's like almost like the you know the three and a half star like you know if you if you think of like the big three as like the three stars of the team he's like that half of a star that sort of elevates their ceiling I think that is a bigger reason of why they're succeeding and, and not so much because of their draft picks now if one of those draft picks next year takes a huge leap and becomes sort of like the year two Jordan Poole where you see the glimpses of like he could be a really productive player then I say it might work but um, you know not to look too much into next year but I mean the West is going to be significantly better next year so I don't think you can just you know regardless of what happens in this finals you, you can't just take the same team and run it back next year and expect the same thing i think you're gonna have to make some improvements in some places yeah but don't you think that they're with moody getting some playing time kuminga has looked bad at times but he's also looked good at times in this postseason um you know obviously james wiseman hopefully he comes back healthy he has the attributes to do something that the future of this team is good it's not going to be like all right when the big three leaves we're going to go back into this major rebuild and stuff like that. They've set the ground pieces now to have this be a franchise that's worth watching for 10, 20 years now, instead of just, all right, hopefully Steph Curry plays at a high level for another three years and we get to kind of have a couple more postseason runs. 
Yeah, I mean, but to be honest, for me, like, I don't really care what happens like five, six years from now because there's no guarantee that any of those guys are going to be good enough to be a number one option on a championship team. It's like it's so hard to find guys that fit that criteria. That I mean, if you think of like the last decade, right? There's been like five guys who really defined the decade. It was LeBron, KD, Steph, Harden, and Kawhi, and like Giannis kind of came on later. But if you think about those five players, like even out of those five, like you wouldn't consider Harden, like based on his playoff history, as somebody who is like totally reliable being that number one guy. So you're talking really about four players over a 10 year stretch that you can count on to, you know, be the number one guy in a title team. And so the odds are very slim that you're going to find somebody like that in the draft. Now, if Kaminga can be like that, that guy, I don't know, but. My point is that if you have that guy already on your team, you need to have the roster around him maximized to take advantage of that because there's no guarantee that it's ever going to come back like that again, or at least in the near future. So, um, yeah, so I- I'm still going to stick by that opinion. All right. Seems like this is an offseason. We'll talk about this again in the offseason and see, see where they're at. Let's let the finals run out. But I want to ask you this. is the super team era over? I don't think so. Um, I think right now what you're seeing is there's a transition period in the league where like a lot of the guys that had teamed up in the past have kind of found their, found their homes and stuff like that. But um, those guys are slowly like aging out of the league. And what you're seeing now is that you're seeing the new generation and their teams starting to really become contenders. And these are all teams that they got drafted to. So um, there's going to be probably about like a five to seven year window here where a lot of those guys will stick with their teams and they'll run it out. And then you're going to hit a point um, where after that second contract extension and like the first time that a lot of these guys will hit unrestricted free agency, you're going to see one or two players start to move and consider teaming up. Um, And it's either going to be with somebody like, like Luca or, maybe Jokic, I don't know, but it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen for a while. So I think what you're going to see is like a pretty good five to seven year run here where I don't think there's going to be one team that wins like three titles in a row or two titles in a row. I think it's going to be pretty, there's going to be a lot of parity here for a half decade. Yeah. I I think since I started watching basketball, this is the most parity that I've seen. Um, You know, you had that run in, the late 2000s, Miami won, but then, you know, then the big three of Boston came around. So, I, I mean, I, would you say that's the the start of the, the super team era was Boston or was it Miami? Well, I don't know. I mean, even if you go back to, like, the 80s, you had – I mean, the league was structure was different then, but you had, like, five, six Hall of Famers on one team and stuff like that. But, like, that's a little different just because of the, you know, with the way that the draft worked and the free agency worked. I mean – you know, by our standards today, you could classify that as a super team. But if you're going to talk about like the modern, like, you know, where you have like three stars that take up like 80 to 90% of the salary cap or something like that, then I would say, I would say Boston laid the groundwork for it, but the actual like free agency team up stuff like that, I think really did start with the Miami heat. Cause I think it's different when you trade for guys versus, sign guys in free agency because when you're training for guys a lot of the times like those guys might be on teams that aren't contenders or you know they want out because you know 
like Anthony Davis or whatever that did, they just want a better chance to win. But when you're, when you're in free agency, I mean, you have like five or six teams wanting you and you can make an argument that three of them are title contenders if you join them. And so what, what the heat did was that, you know, they took three players who could have signed with five different teams and they all decided to just, we're just going to join one team like at once and stuff. And, you know, something like that, I don't think will ever happen again, just because it's just, having all everybody at once figure out like, okay, we're going to join the Miami heat. Like that's, that's like super unprecedented, but what you see with like the Warriors getting KD, I think teams that are like already title made or close to being title made are really going to sell out to try to get this one extra guy that puts them over the top. So um, it'll be interesting to see who that guy is in the future. Um, I'm not sure we know right now. And so it makes it exciting to see like who might be the guy that tilts the scales and, you know, for a title. Yeah, the, the point I'm trying to get at here is two things. One, I, I don't see a team seeing what happened in Brooklyn, seeing what happened with the Lakers in L.A., being like, all right, here, you're our superstar. You take the keys and you let it, you just run with it. You tell us what you want. You tell us you kind of run the team from here on out. And we see Brooklyn, the dysfunction. James Harden came in, and now they're trying to work, make it work with Ben Simmons. I can't believe that the GM and ownership is like, yeah, this is exactly what we wanted out of, what, three years with KD. They got to the second round one time. So I, I know that that's not what they wanted. You look at L.A., they got the title. They could say it worked with the Anthony Davis trade. But you look at it now, they were 11th in the West. They're stuck with Russell Westbrook right now. Um, you know, and to say that LeBron hasn't been impacting 99% of the decisions there is unlikely, knowing what he has done in the past. But then you look at... Golden State, and you look at Boston, two homegrown teams, basically, right? The Wiggins trade, but the rest of it is basically Boston, three great draft picks, uh, the Warriors, three great draft picks. I feel like it's always a copycat league, so I could see some of this, you know, maybe it's a five, ten-year run, like you said, of people trying, teams trying to build through the draft and, you know, afford these picks. Oklahoma City, they have you know, what, 25 picks in the next 10 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I could see the copycat league. All right, well, this worked with these two teams. Clearly, it's a, something that can work until there's a trust or there's another superstar. Like you said, we don't know who it is yet. Could be a Luca, could be a Trey, whoever it is that recreates that, that super team. So just I think that's my two points of just the homegrown mentality I think is going to come back again for the next five to 10 years um, until, until there's the next LeBron that wants to, to create a super team. Yeah. I, well, I would say one thing about that is that um, if you look at like who the top five players in the league were this year, um, I'm going to see like, like Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. Um, I'm trying to think who else, like Luca could probably make an argument for top five. Um, and then you have like the Steph LeBron, pipes like hovering around the top five but a lot of those guys have signed a long-term deals so like you know at least for another three years three four years so you're going to get another three four years of nobody moving anywhere at least the guys that would impact a title like that level of player they're not they're not going to be moving anytime soon and so you're going to get a lot of free agents like deandre ayton and zach levine and all these guys who are good players but they're not going to like immediately make you a title contender so you're going to get like the b-level players that are going to be in unrestricted free agency for the next couple of years and you're not going to get 
um, like these huge summers where like a like a big mega star is going to be unrestricted and that's what ESPN talks about all year is like if this guy's going to leave or not so um yeah it should be I mean I think it's good for the league that guys stay with one team that's just my opinion um you know Boston like they've had really good drafts over the years uh the Warriors obviously have had pretty good drafts so um yeah I think teams are going to look to draft really well and then and then in four or five years if the opportunity strikes try to bring in someone else to put them over the top yeah all right we only got a few minutes left here but i want to get to predictions of the final so i know there's a couple topics but both of them are topics that we can leave for another time give me your prediction what what does this series turn out to be who wins it how many games well, first I wanted to ask if you wanted to do a, uh, like, a, if you had to rank, like, the top five players in the series, like, who would you put on that top five? Because I've seen, I've seen a couple of iterations of this, and some of them are pretty similar and some aren't. Um, but I, I'll just do it real quick. For me, uh, I'd say Steph Tatum, Jalen Brown, Draymond Green, and then that fifth guy, I've been kind of going either Clay or Marcus Smart. I probably would put Clay, maybe fifth. I don't know what your opinion on that would be, but I think those are probably the five best in the series. Oh, how about this? Let's do a draft. Let's let's do a, a two person draft, and you take the first pick. I mean, I I take Steph first. Yeah, I I mean I'm gonna take Tatum second. I take Jalen Brown third. I think just like the two way stuff he gives you is pretty valuable. Um. I go Draymond for it. Yeah, um, I take I take Clay fifth. I think the best version of Clay, I think, impacts the game still at a high level. Yeah, I'd say X factor. I'd probably go Wiggins if he plays well. Then I think the Warriors are pretty unbeatable in this series. So is Wiggins your next pick then? I take Wiggins as my next pick. All right. Uh, I would take Marcus Smart after that. Um, I take Robert Williams, a healthy Robert Williams. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, we'll see. He's had three days off. There's going to be days off between games. I don't, I'm not sure if uh, he's fully right. But yeah, I would agree. Like fully healthy Robert Williams is up there. Um, let's see. Uh, I'd probably take Jordan Poole as the next pick. I think he's a guy that, I mean, he's kind of like Tyler Hero in the sense that, like, I think Miami was trying to get Tyler Hero to a point where that he could give them, like, 15 off the, off the bench and stuff like that. The key for him is that, you know, the Celtics, every time he's on the court, they're going to try to force him to play defense. And he's been, like, up and down defensively this playoffs. But Jordan Poole's a guy that, like, he can give you 20 off the bench, and they're going to need that in some of these games. So, um, yeah, he's my next pick. All right. What is this, round nine? Um, yeah, it's not many guys left. I don't think I say there's not much left because you got uh, basically like what you're going through between Al Horford and Kevin Looney at this point. Yes, yeah, so who, who do you think is more valuable in that sense? <laughs> I mean, if we're going value, Kevin Looney because he's the one big guy that can actually do something for the Warriors, you know. Um, and with the two bigs of Al Horford and and uh, Robert Williams, Kevin Looney is going to play a big factor. 
I'd still take Al Horford, though. Yeah, I mean, I would take Looney to finish it up, but I think I think Al Horford's actually – I mean, he's going to play big minutes in this series just because I don't know if they're going to run Robert Williams out for 30 minutes a night. But I actually think Grant Williams is probably going to play a bit or, bigger factor just because his one, his three-point shooting is, like, actually pretty valuable when they just stick him in the corner and ask him to hit corner threes. But when the Warriors are trying to, like, you know – do the pick and roll and get Al Horford into switches and stuff like that. I think there's going to be points in the series where they're going to play Grant Williams as almost like a center, like a small ball center, just to match up with when, when the Warriors go small. So I actually do think Grant Williams is going to be pretty valuable. So Austin run with the, the small unit of the Warriors though. I don't think that's a good smart play if they try and run small with them. Well, I mean, theoretically you could put Marcus smart, um, well, I'm trying to think like Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, Grant Williams, Robert Williams. It's still not really small, but like, or you could put Derek White, Marcus Smart, the two wings, and then Grant Williams at center. Because Derek White, like, I mean, he's like a good enough defender, I think, where you could hold up there. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see what happens because I think one of the Boston bigs are going to be almost unplayable this series. I just don't know which one. I think Owl's probably going to stay on the court because he can make shots, but Robert Williams, like, if he's not healthy, like, to, to be that defensive roamer that I talked about, then you can't justify him playing in big minutes because he's not really, like, an offensive, like, threat. So, I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, well, I don't know. What's your prediction for the series? Like, how do you, how do you think it's going to go? Eric, let's, let's take a break real quick, and then we'll come back. Be sure to go get your westcoastpreps.com subscription today. For less than 10 cents a day, you can read about all the future stars of this world, from baseball to basketball to softball to football to all other sports that you enjoy. We have coverage of the superstars in that sport, whether they want to become doctors, whether they want to become an NFL superstar, we will cover their stories. Go get your subscription today and use free trial WCP seven days with all capital letters to get your subscription started today. All right, we're back from break and we're going to make our predictions for the 2022 NBA finals between the Golden State Warriors and Boston Celtics. Connor McIntosh, our guest, you're the guest, so go ahead and make your prediction first. Yeah, so I mean, if you look at a lot of the insiders right now, they favor Boston. Um, they just like their overall roster. If you go the Vegas lines, Warriors are a slight favorite. I think if you read into that a little bit, I think the Warriors are – a lot of people like betting on the Warriors and stuff, and so they didn't want to make them as an underdog just to, you know, cover the, the money, um, you know, coming in and stuff like that. Um, they're like a minus 155 favorite, Celtics plus 130 underdog. I think – what that says is that I think they're expecting the series to go close. Um, so, yeah, I'm, it's, it's really tough. I've, I've kind of thought about this the last couple of days. First of all, I think the series is going to go over five games. I think it's going to be a six or seven game series. Um, game six is going to be in Boston and game seven, obviously, is going to be back in San Francisco. So it's going to be the first five games going to tell a lot, but I have the Warriors winning in six games, I think they're going to win the title in Boston. Um, but would I be surprised if the Celtics won? I wouldn't. I think they're a good team. 
but I, I'm just going to take the overall experience of the Warriors. They have 123 games of finals experience to zero for Boston. Um, and I think the biggest factor that why I'm not totally comfortable with riding with the Celtics, even though one, you know, you can get them for better odds. Um, you know, if you were, if you were doing that and two, um, Overall, I think that they're a more consistent defensive team. I think the Warriors were really good on defense, but there's been times when in some of these playoff games where they just kind of, you know, it's been like kind of a layup line. So they really got to lock in defensively. But I don't really trust what I saw from the Celtics um, in their late game offense. I think that Heat game seven, it, they really should have closed that game out with three minutes to go. And what ended up happening is that they, they almost play this like prevent offense that I think with Bill Simmons or whoever was talking about where like they just play the clock instead of just actually continuing to play. And the offense stagnates like crazy. Um, and I think that the lack of guard play, or at least the, the lack of like a true point guard that initiates the game for the Celtics, even though Marcus Smart can do it, I don't think they really have like a true guy where late in the game, you can be like, he's going to do this consistently for us game after game. And so if, if any of these games are close, you know, if it's like, you know, within, I'll just say within five points, I'm not sure the Celtics are really, you know, comfortable with executing in the half court and they don't get good looks. Tatum, Tatum, you know, they double team him. Jalen Brown turns it over a lot. Marcus Smart makes weird decisions. Um, honestly, the Celtics have been really dominant when they've been able to get out to a big lead and they don't even have to worry about this. A lot of their wins or at least their impressive ones have come when they don't even really have to worry about clutch time but uh, we saw a couple games like against Milwaukee the game five when they let that one slip away which almost cost them a series um the game seven um they almost let slip away um they just had a big enough lead to where like the cushion was still great enough to where they could get away with it um but there's been some games like even the game six against Miami where um you know, it was back and forth. Jalen Brown misses two free throws. The Heat somehow pulled that one out. There's been a couple of games where you felt like Boston should win, and they didn't. And yep. they've, they've gotten away with it just because the teams that they play have, like, really struggled to generate offense. But in this series, I think if the, if the games come down to that, then you're really going to start to see some of the flaws come up again. And it's, it's on the Warriors to be able to take advantage of that and score at the other end. So... I got Warriors in six. Um, I think Steph, if the Warriors win, I don't see how Steph like wouldn't get the finals MVP just because the talk has just been so like nauseating for almost like four or five years now. Um, They'll find a way. They'll find a way. It'll be Clay Thompson. It'll be Wiggins. They'll find a way. I just, I, I have a feeling. I mean, it could. Yeah. I just, I just think like the media members know that if like they did do something like that, like it would be, that would be like the big story afterwards. Um, so I think Steph would win it, but like if, if you're thinking about like a long shot Finals MVP, probably I don't think Wiggins would score. I don't think Wiggins is going to score a lot in the series. It's just be more focused on defense. But Jordan Poole, Vegas long shot MVP. Um, Clay is another one that could see a lot of looks. Um, and then if you're if the Celtics win, if you're going to flip it onto there, I think um, Jalen Brown would probably be the guy that would you know, have to come up big for them to win this series. So I think he could be a play too. But yeah, so I got Warriors and six, Steph Finals MVP. I hope I'm right. Um, but it's it's gonna be important for them to win the first two games at home just so they can, you know, 
establish a good lead in this series. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree with most of your points. One thing that people keep on saying that Chase Center is not the same as Oracle. Obviously, I haven't been there, so it's hard to say. I'd say that there's been some moments where it's pretty loud in there, and the Warriors mm-hmm. haven't lost. They have not lost a home playoff game this year. They're 9-0 at home. The Celtics are not have not been great. They missed the closeout game at home in game six, so the Eastern Conference Finals had to travel back to Miami, but they've been great on the road. The Warriors have never, have always, in every single series since Steve Kerr has been there, has won a road playoff game. So they're going to get one in Boston. Right? You can almost mark it down. It's just what they're going to find a way to get one in Boston. So if they can just hold home court advantage, then it says, you know, the Warriors should get this one. However, I think they are going to lose one. Boston's been great on the road. The Warriors have not been able to close out on the road in each of the two series. In each series, I should say. So I'm going to go Warriors in seven. I think it goes over five. I think Boston's too good to get closed out in a gentleman's sweep. But I don't think the Warriors go into Boston and close out Boston. So I think it's going to take a game seven. And Steph's going to be MVP. But I think with the story of Clay, if he has any sort of series, he hasn't played in two and a half years, he comes back. Now he looks great again. He hit, you know, eight threes in game four or whatever it is. I think there's there's a – if I'm taking a sleeper pick, I'm going to take Clay in this one. Um, but I am scared that anything can happen in a game seven. Um, it's going to be a physical series. Marcus Smart's going to be physical. That's always the, the recipe to beat the Warriors um, is to be physical. So um, I hope neither team gets any injuries and it's just a clean series that, you know, there's no ankle sprains. Oh, this guy, if he was healthy, then, you know, they would have won. I don't, hopefully none of that happens, but um, Gary Payton coming back. Otto Porter looks like he's on the right track. I don't know if Iggy really brings anything to the table other than maybe a couple minutes of experience. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go Warriors in seven with Steph winning the finals MVP. But it all starts tonight. It will be yeah. it will be a fun fun series to watch for sure. Yeah, I mean, what you said about, like, like Iguodala, too, he's kind of more of a bonus at this point. I think they're going to need guys, though, to defend the two wings. You know, you don't want Clay and Wiggins on them all the time just to, like, pick up fouls and stuff. So you're going to need other guys to pick up that assignment, too. Because um, really, if you think about it, it's probably going to be, like, a, a battle. Where, like, it's, it's going to be, you know, how rotations tend to shrink and stuff like that. And I think if, if you look at each side, it's going to be probably, like, a seven-man rotation on each side. So if you, like, Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Dre, Looney, Poole, and Gary Payton or Otto. I think Otto Porter is probably going to play more than Gary Payton. So yeah. if you think those are like, those are like your seven, and then on Boston's side, it's Smart, Tatum, Brown, Williams, Horford, Derek White, Grant Williams. Those are like the the seven set your seven players. Maybe you throw in like Peyton Pritchard occasionally, but I don't think I don't think Peyton Pritchard is going to see a lot of minutes, and I don't think. The Warriors rookies are going to see a lot of minutes either, unless somebody gets hurt. Um, just, I think those it's going to be like seven v seven. Basically, it's like is your seven or eight guys better than ours? And so, I'm curious to find find that out too. But I think um, you're going to hate this. But I think the Elitza is going to get some minutes. I think he's going to have to play a couple minutes. 
in this series just because he's he's the closest thing you have to a backup big at this point. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how the games go. I mean, I'm curious yeah. to see how they officiate these games because I've seen some Celtics games where they let them be physical and then they, like, send the Celtics to the free throw line like crazy. And then I've also seen games where Grant Williams has four fouls in the first half. So I don't really know what we're going to get from that point of view. Um, but I think it'll change game by game. But, um, yeah, I mean, Bielitsa could play. I think you could see Moody occasionally. If I um, see Damian Lee in this series, I might get back on the fire of Steve Kerr thing. I think Steve's been great in this postseason. He's done a ton of great things, but I cannot see Damian Lee on the floor. I can't stand the guy. He doesn't do anything well. Well, yeah, I don't I don't think he's going to play at all, if, if, especially if Gary Payton's healthy. Because, like, I mean, if he's not hitting threes, I mean, he's open. Like, all of his threes are wide open. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, nobody guards him. And if he's not hitting those, like, he doesn't bring anything on defense to where it, it – it warrants him playing because I mean they almost lost game two against Dallas because of his minutes like he was like a minus 13 in four minutes and the Maverick Mavs on this huge run like it literally almost cost him a playoff game so I mean that's why you shorten rotations in the playoffs for that reason but um yeah I, I never understood that some of the writers were like yeah he brings a, a veteran presence to the team and some of the young guys are ready and I'm like dude like he's played the same amount of playoff games as all these rookies like zero like it's like he's the exact same inexperienced player as all these other guys but at least the other guys have like above average athleticism or can actually shoot and stuff so and I don't know a far better defender than him so if it comes down to it that it's got to be moody or early it better be moody at this point I don't really well I mean yeah I if Damian Lee has to play in this series then that means like at least like two or three guys got injured, which you don't want. Yeah. Um, so that's why like they definitely needed some of these guys to come back because um, Boston's rotation is pretty deep um, and stuff. And you can't be matching Damian Lee up with like Derek White or, or Grant Williams or whoever it is. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see how the series plays out. Uh, you know, testament to both teams that they're here. Um, it's been kind of a weird year this year. Uh, for both teams, like the Warriors, you know, so many injuries this season really haven't had a full starting group. I mean, this is honestly like this series might be like at least game one might be like the first time they've been sort of fully healthy since like November. I mean, even then they didn't have play. Yeah. So it's like they really haven't had like a full roster until until now. And then Boston, mm -hmm. um, like they they didn't necessarily have like the same amount of injuries. I mean, with Robert Williams late in the season, they did, but um, I mean, this is like, you know, sort of an unprecedented turnaround where you're 500 and then you just basically play at a 60 win pace for the last like quarter of the season and stuff. So I don't know, but I mean, it would be pretty big if the Warriors win because there's not a lot of uh, teams that have sort of like their, their run kind of ended and then they sort of came back and like re regrouped and did it again. Really the only team I can think of is San Antonio that did that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really not common. So yeah, I guess we'll have to find out. Yeah. Well, it should be a good one. We'll have to bring it back on the podcast at some point, either during the finals or after the finals, we'll see how it plays out. But Connor, where can people find you? Yeah, you can follow me. Um, Twitter at Connor Mac show K O N N O R M A C E and then show. Um, and then you can also follow my YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash the Connor Mac show. Um, haven't been posting recently. 
but I plan to have more content over the summer um, just for like NBA offseason stuff. So you can follow me there. We just hit over 3000 subscribers on there. So, you know, trying to build the audience. So if you can hit that sub button, that'd be much appreciated. But yeah, no, thanks for having me on the podcast and hope to do it again soon. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for coming on, Connor. And we will be back soon. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's show. Thank you for Connor McIntosh for coming on to the show. Everyone enjoy the NBA Finals as Game 1 is just a mere hours away from starting. Thank you for listening and be sure to stay tuned. Not quite sure what the schedule looks like, but West Coast Press Podcast is definitely, the podcast network I should say, is definitely going to get started here as the summer rolls on. We have a bunch of shows, we have a bunch of ideas getting ready, a bunch of guests that are getting lined up to continue to come on to my show and other shows that will be coming soon all right make sure you guys go subscribe down below hit the youtube button make sure you download it on spotify or apple podcast make sure you go follow us on twitter at west coast preps underscore and also social medias and make sure you guys enjoy the 2022 nba finals with the golden state warriors and the boston celtics go warriors